I'm Mary Catherine Ham. I'm here with my friend Vic Mattis. Hello, Mary Catherine. How are you? I am good. And I should say also that if you want to check them, check out the more PG-13 R-rated version of Vic, you should go over to the Sub Beacons Patreon page yeah, it's and like, sign up. It's like PG-13 circa 1984. Oh, it's so, big, you know, in that's other words, real. it's a hard R. But uh, we also do. Uh, thank you very much for for that. It's uh, one of my favorite podcasts. You're very kind. And we also do. If you subscribed on Patreon, we do a special bonus episode almost, almost every week or every other week that only subscribers have access to. So it doesn't go up on iTunes. We had just finished Squid Game and then we did Sex, Love and Goop, which obviously I had a lot of thoughts on that. And we just finished <laughs> one. We just finished one last night on the new, newly Blu-rayed 4K release of the 2001 movie Mulholland Drive. Oh. You know that one? Yes. You do? Did you? Oh, oh that was Vic's choice for sure. You know what? I had never seen it before. How is that possible? Yeah, I know. I don't know. I was just got, I saw Mulholland Falls, which is a completely different movie. Yeah. But, uh, but Mulholland <laughs> You're Drive. like, this is not what was advertised no, to me. No, As 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 I tell listeners on the special podcast, just, you know, all you have to do is uh, forward to our 46 mark. <laughs> Leave it at that. Now you know. So this is, this is, it's a practical guide to all things <laughs> all the, pop a, culture I do and this entertainment. As a favor. I do this as a favor to our paying subscribers, by the way. So what else is going on? So I, I have reached the part of my children's school career where I have to walk that line of how much I help on projects. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, my, my oldest is the one who has a, she has a project this week where she has to dress up or she has to uh, report on in a Colonial Times occupation. Like butter churner. <laughs> Hers is apothecary, so it's actually oh, yes, pretty cool, yes, yes, right? Yes. And she's a she's a funny kid, so she wants to put like the dark stuff in about like, and then they bled people, and I'm like, yes. oh, I guess yeah, we should add that. We should add that. I was gonna make a joke about it, but good for her. You know, she's like, that's Leeches. really that's really important. Mm-hmm. We got to put that on there. And she also, I'm a bit more of a perfectionist when it comes to making like a poster board than my than my daughter is. Uh, so we we. We're like at odds a bit here, uh, and she's gonna hate me tonight when we're running over this and making everything look really, really good before she goes in. But I'm not doing it for her. She has she gen- genuinely did the research and read up on this and and put her thoughts together. But you as an editor are going to appreciate this. Yes, and I understand this is not a knock on the teacher or the school. They're teaching how to write, and the rule is five sentences in a paragraph. Wow, and it. Makes my heart sad. Yeah, well. <laughs> because I want to smash all these sentences together and make them more complex. Oh, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, you know, less is more, you know. Uh, and, and I always like to tell, you know, young writers, don't make the reader work. That's what I say. Nice <laughs> you and easy. To, so, well, you you would love Please. this essay. I think I should, I should do this. I should do this. Con- five five sentences. That's that's me. Well, it, it, that's it, a, it does. Uh, I'm okay with a short declarative sentence. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This encourages... Uh, there's no rhythm. There's no rhythm oh, no, to the no, no, language. No, I wanted no, to no. have some rhythm. Yeah. And uh, and my no, daughter yeah. is like, no. What is the shortest way to the period? Because that's where I'm going. Good for her. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then there's time to work on transitions later. But I want to know uh, who said something. How did you come to the conclusion that you should no longer get involved? Did your daughter say, mom, leave me alone? Or did a teacher? Or was it just your no, realization? No, no. This is just my uh, personal conflict over this. Yes. Uh, because there were plenty of times, my parents were very involved in our education. There were plenty of times when I accidentally left something to the last minute and my dad certainly helped 
quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, and I was always there for that process. I was I was not checked out and in bed while my dad was doing my project. We'll see if he tweets me to argue about that. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think I was checked out, but there were times when he probably did more than I did, maybe. Not often. Yeah. But I also don't want to set that precedent uh, with my daughter. She should be realizing she has projects to work on and getting them, getting some work done ahead of time and, you know, things that I don't model for her in my regular life. She needs to do those things. I'm glad my kids basically feel the same way. You know, they don't really want me to help them in that way, uh, certainly with the writing. Uh, I do have to point out misspellings. That's crazy. Okay, I'm going to do that. Well, yeah, I I always am going to edit. Okay, yeah. we're not. It's not going out the door until I get my eyes on it. But I am glad because I'm 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 terrible. I mean, I'm really not involved in a lot of the things. Kate is more involved than I am, and sometimes I can overhear her giving uh, you know the kids some writing guidance. For example, we let our daughter. This is like three, two, two or three years ago. She wanted to enter a, a science fair, even though she didn't have to, but she just felt like it. So she took on whatever the project was, and she wrote and explained the process of the experiment on a, a poster board. It, I didn't, so I didn't help her with it at all. It looked like the Unabomber. That's the, the writing. It was so small, and it filled up the whole poster. I'm like, oh, my God. I think our, our, our poster board right now has, has a little bit of that vibe. And we're gonna we're gonna revamp it a bit tonight. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some really staggered writing going on. That's right. And cutouts that are not <laughs> not flush. So we're we're gonna work on it. We're gonna bring the level up. Yeah. But it's not gonna be me. It's gonna be me sitting over her shoulder. <laughs> I was gonna say. That's what I'm gonna Resist do. Resist the urge. Yep. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping before we move on. I have to thank the Hammerheads who are our listeners, uh, particularly two uh, two loyal listeners at Stephen Gutowski oh. <laughs> of the Reload, who offered on Twitter just a wealth of knowledge about T Swift. Yes. After our discussion, not surprised. I. You know what? I was Im- I was surprised <laughs> and impressed. And one of the things he brought up, which is pertinent, is that I should and I should have mentioned that one of the allegations against Jake Gyllenhaal in the Taylor Swift drama is that he ditched, he ghosted her on her 21st birthday in the relationship, which if it went down the way that she says or implies or alleges, uh, that would be indeed a foul. But the question is always is, do I trust the narrator's take on this? No. <laughs> uh, I would like to say that uh, in, in Jake's defense, he probably wanted her to write a great song. And the only way he can do it by, is by inflicting this kind of... By taking her scarf, ditching her on her 21st. Fabricated drama. <laughs> and look what happened. Well... Thank you, you, Jake. If, yes. And if, if you have more questions, you can visit at Stephen Gutowski. And then at Kevin, P. Gl- Kevin W. Glass, excuse me, as a buddy of mine, he has requested that Steve come on the podcast to give his lecture about how you're not going to bulk up easily at the gym because trust me, he's oh, been yes. trying. <laughs> oh, I'd have endless questions for him. We can we can put him in the hot seat someday. That's good. He'll have That'll all the great. answers and then probably get canceled. What's up, Steve? Um, <laughs> moving on. Do you know that Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, appears to be trolling me personally by sort of morphing into a supervillain look? Oh. He was on CBS the Sunday with Ted Koppel. Uh, He's still around. Yes. And he wore a black turtleneck under a button-down shirt plus a blazer. And the whole thing was sort of like, 
Alex P. Keaton or 80s movie villain meets Steve Jobs meets Dr. Evil. <laughs> and the, I just felt like you're really embodying this moment right It now. is an interesting thing, if you want to speak sartorially for a moment here, to uh, start off with a turtleneck and then put the button-down shirt on top of that because... You know, if the shirt's supposed to fit well, it's going to be kind of bulky to have the turtle. Well, I feel like there's not a lot of breathing going on in that ensemble. Uh, And, you know. Oh, it's the triple masking of ensembles. Of his body. Of his body. body. Uh, I was, you know, it made me very sort of uh, uncomfortable to watch because I myself am not a turtleneck person, as you know, with my neck. Which is anywhere (laughs) between a 17 and a half and an 18. Right, you'd have to have the turtlenecks altered oh yeah no i would be so stretched out panel to this it would be it would be so stretched out you know to to uh paraphrase uh borat like wizard sleeve you know like (laughs) wizard sleeve well anthony fauci is uh is well he's always in the media but right now he's telling us that we can enjoy thanksgiving and christmas just fyi so here he is talking about that if you get vaccinated and your family's vaccinated You can feel good about enjoying a typical Thanksgiving, Christmas with your family and close friends. We unfortunately still have a dynamics of uh, infection in the community of about 70,000 new cases per day. So when you go to indoor congregate settings, go the extra mile, be safe, wear a mask. But when you're with your family at home, Goodness, enjoy it with your parents, your children, your grandparents. There's no reason not to do that. Well, there you have it, Vic. Look, I, that's I, kind of dangerous. Then, <laughs> I, I, immediate family, maybe. Well, and but you're bringing in relatives. It's uh... every time I, I do, I do get on Fauci's case uh, occasionally. I do that because he is an extremely powerful public servant who has rarely asked very hard questions, and he has several times admitted. To, shall we say, stretching the truth, hedging, some would say lying, for, for, the, for the greater good, he yeah. has claimed on those occasions. But there's a larger problem here where the, the media has just conceded that one public servant should be telling us exactly how to do Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think we've, they've been asking the same question of Anthony Fauci for two years. Mm-hmm. And it's just, what are we allowed to do? And that shouldn't be the question. This, this nation turns its lonely, lowly eyes to you, you know. So <laughs> the the uh, the the that's the thing. It reminds us that doctors are not lawmakers, and so you know when we heed their advice on certain things, it shouldn't be the end all be all because that's what lawmakers' jobs are to do is weighing the costs and the benefits. Or economists. Things of things of that idea. nature, but I'm glad he said that we're allowed to because there are still a lot of people out there who still turn to him. Yes, uh, for the okay, he said it's safe, so we can do this now. Well, and I think some of that is reflective of the the problem I'm talking about, where the the media also doesn't recognize that there were sort of two parallel pandemics going on, where people live very different. My friend Carol Markowitz, who writes for New York Post and oh, others, yes. has I believe coined the term the pajama class who was able to stay home. I, I am oh. among them. Others mm-hmm. in my family are not, but who are able to stay home, yeah, got great. their paychecks, wonderful, got everything delivered. But there's a whole other class of people who either went out and lived just because they calculated their risk and did so, or had to, right. because they were doing the things that right. had to bring the they products to everyone do, else. They could not do their job. My brother-in-law, who's a firefighter, you know, cannot do that remotely. You can't, you can't put out a fire over Zoom. 
He delivered a baby. I can't. Do, he couldn't do that remotely. He yeah. couldn't. Okay, now push. Wait, hold on. Angle, angle the laptop. But yeah, yeah I think the. The media and Fauci often do not recognize that there were these two parallel paths in the pandemic. And so he's always he's always preaching to those who really isolated themselves, who stayed inside. He's rarely touching on the issues of those who did not or those who were hurt by these policies. And there there were many. The fact that we were overcautious on schools, for instance, has caused huge problems in literacy and socialization and other other issues for, for young people. And so those things are never addressed, partly because here's. Here's Ted Koppel interviewing Fauci. Here are the questions. Are you ready? Give it to me. When you see the thank you Dr. Fauci signs in your neighborhood is what he's talking about. Does that shelter you a bit? Oh, God. I love these questions. From the onslaught of criticism. He also asked, uh, I got excited when I heard the beginning of this question. He also asked if the pandemic could have been different. He said, when you think back, could it have been different? And I thought, oh, this will be good. We'll get some reflection. Nope. If former President Trump had led in a different way, that was the question, which if that is a question that okay, can be addressed, fine, but it's not the question fine. that I would like Fauci to answer. Right. Here's another one. Does does President Trump's behavior border on criminal? That's another incisive question <laughs> for Fauci. Did, did Koppel ask anything about gain of function? No, oh, no, really? he did not. Yeah, uh, that bad. was not on the list. Uh, he did point out that. Fauci is losing ground in public polling. And he says, are you just preaching to the choir these days? And Fauci says, look, I can't, I can't do anything about the fact that these crazy people don't believe me. <laughs> well, it's an answer. <laughs> that's not exactly what he said, but that's basically what he said. But what you need, what he needed to have asked were things like, well, what are the percent- percentages? We talk about the number of cases, you know, per day. What are the percentage of those cases that end in hospitalization well, and this or is, death? This is what I'm what I'm getting to, and that this is sort of the the chapter of the pandemic that we are in, right? With a bunch yeah. of people asking, even those who have been very cautious, saying, "Okay, how? What is the end game here? How does this? Where's the off ramp for the pandemic? When do we admit that COVID is endemic and we just sort of live with the the inherent risk of that?" That's right. And so he has been asked that question. But his answer is that we're going to have to get to 10,000 cases or under uh, in order. I'll, I'll let him I'll let him speak for himself. Yeah, I think it's conceivable that we will. I mean, I hope we do. And it might even be likely if we implement a good va- vaccination of the unvaccinated and a really good uptake of boosting those who are fully vaccinated because we can see that the data are right in front of us. So more vaccination, more boosting. He's Look, again, I'm happy for you to look at the data and make those decisions for yourself. The issue is that he has become the chief goalpost mover. I was about to say we're moving the goalposts again. I mean, and if you want to get to 10,000 cases, there has rarely been a moment if ever in the pandemic that we have been you know, maybe in July or below that, like that. that was briefly it. in that briefly. in that in that you know, summer of glory for it, a moment it used to be that the goal was not to overburden hospitals yes. so that you don't have people dying in the parking lots like you saw in India and other places okay let's let, make sure that there's enough ICU beds and then it's like well we need to sort of reduce the uh, the number of hospitalizations, that's a big concern, uh, and death, obviously. But then now it's the fixation over the number of cases. But again, well, you could be going to the hospital for an unrelated procedure. They will test you every yes. time you go to the hospital. And, oh, 
by the way, you feel great, you're asymptomatic, but you happen to have it, mark it down. Well, and that's his insistence upon focusing on cases, mm-hmm. I think, is not is not designed to help us move forward. We, Vermont, for instance, is a state that has a really high vaccination rate, but still has a really high case rate. Now, that's because you can catch it if you're vaccinated. And there is still a small part of the population that's not vaccinated who can who can get it. And certainly their hospitalizations are better because so many are vaccinated. But if you look at Vermont just based on cases, they'd be in trouble forever, according right, to the would, Fauci metric, well, when really we want to concentrate on keeping people from overflowing the hospitals and putting too much pressure on the healthcare system and obviously getting very sick and dying. That's right. I spoke to a very, one of my best friends called me yesterday, and I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Uh, he was telling me he and his wife, who were very uh, vaccine conscious, right? They didn't, we were careful about who they met with, who they spoke with. Right. You know, if you visited them, they asked to wear a mask, this and that and the other. And uh, he got COVID. And uh, through his work, he travels a lot. And his wife got COVID. And their newborn baby got COVID because the newborn, uh, through breastfeeding, they say, right? Breastfeeding, I think they got it through the milk or something like that. I know you can get, the antibodies can transfer. Well, this is the thing. So everybody was sick for a few days. Then everybody got over it. Okay. The baby is fine. That's what we're looking for. But not only is the baby is fine, the baby has the antibodies. And for the vast majority of us, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way the body works is it picks it up. It fights it off. It's a terrible few days, but then you're able to develop a natural resistance right. to well, it. Well, and so. Vermont also tests a bunch. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that you see yeah, their you cases. See uh, you see their numbers going mm-hmm. up. I, I do want to If you have note, sniffles, don't get tested. <laughs> honestly. No, from us, this is how you're going to get us banned. <laughs> I know. Sorry, sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, I, don't, I feel fine. This, there was a, there's a passage in this story about Vermont that is just so interesting if you've lived the past 18 months during during the messaging mm-hmm. of this this pandemic. It says, regarding the recent case surge, Vermont may also be a victim of our success, one of their health officials said on Tuesday, pointing to a lack of natural COVID-19 immunity among unvaccinated residents because we kept the virus at such low levels throughout the entire pandemic. Vermont has one of the lowest levels nationwide of people who have developed natural immunity to the virus, CDC data shows. And also this. By the same token, waning immunity among residents who were efficiently and effectively vaccinated early on is also likely to be contributing to rising prices cases. I don't mean to laugh. It's just like we can't do anything right, which to me points to endemicity, yeah, right? that's right. You can't get it exactly right. And even the things that you're doing, quote unquote, right might end up handicapping you in some ways. And again, for, for, for most of us, if you're vaccinated, even if you're boosted and you get it, and the experience should be mild because you've already been protected against uh, the virus, then there are probably worse uh, flus out there that you have to be worried about. David Leonhardt uh, was pointing that out uh, in the New York Times, who I I tell them, I I call them his now it can be said columns. Yeah, yes. Once he does. Because we'll start saying things maybe six or eight months before David Leonhardt, and I'm I'm rooting for him (laughs) to just, just put it out there so people can... And so he finally writes a column saying, how do we get back to normalcy? And he lists a couple of ways that we can think about this. And he includes some very COVID cautious doctors talking about this. But I, I love the the idea here. We focus on illness, not cases. Exactly we what we've focus been saying on, here on the show. Focus on vulnerability. So if you're more vulnerable, obviously you would be more Protect careful. Yourself. Uh, do your Do your risk analysis. And then cost versus benefit. So, for instance, wearing a mask somewhere where you're really close in and you don't need to communicate with that many people would perhaps have greater benefit than cost. But 
slapping that on an elementary school kid who's trying to learn and no. is very low risk maybe no. has more costs than it does mm-hmm. benefit. So also on a tangent, I told my friend because he said for, you know, for a few days, he did lose his sense of smell. I said, that's great. I said, the good news is you can now use the bathroom at Port Authority. Oh. Penn Station is your oyster. Right, you could be there for hours. You could be there for hours. Like, oh, this is great. <laughs> what a perk. That's <laughs> why you, you know, that's why you want natural immunity. That's, that's why I say you could go into any restroom without being just grossed out. There are two ways. It was interesting reading that story uh, by David Leonhardt. There are two ways to look at it. One is people will say, oh, my gosh, you know, um, there are worse cases out there, flu, and, you know, the flu is deadly. And so, therefore, you know, COVID, if we, you know, are protected against it, we probably don't need to wear the mask everywhere anymore because that's why we got the vaccine, to minimize the impact of that. The other way to think about it is, oh, my gosh, the flu is much worse. And if we mask for COVID, then we definitely got a mask for the flu. <sighs> so, moving on. Look, don't give them any ideas, Sorry. Vic. No, th- there was, and I'm going to, I'll close on Fauci with this, but there was a part of the Koppel interview that, that I noticed when you're talking about flu versus COVID, Koppel says, and of course this is tragic, but it's true. He says a couple of years ago, it was not uncommon for us to lose 30,000 Americans a year to the flu. He says, right now acknowledges that. Is that an acceptable level if we get to that for COVID is what, is what he asked. And he's Fauci says, no, it's not. The difference between influenza and COVID-19 is that we don't have a very good vaccine against influenza. So we cannot accept a high level of deaths to COVID when we have a vaccine that could prevent it. So that, to me, that's the pretty obvious tell that we, he, he as an authority, is never looking to get to the point where we treat this like flu. No. I'm, I'm not sure that there's an end game That's very for him. revealing. Yeah. So we're just, we're not going to treat it like flu ever. But we are in a free society, so at some point we do. Are we? Britney Spears is now out of her conservatorship. It was a long road with many documentaries on netflix i think it took, littering I the think way it made a difference that the people her fans everybody the, the awareness the shows that it all reached critical mass and there was enormous pressure was it a judge or a jury in this situation is it a judge judged, a judge yes. who makes this decision i think that always yeah so it was finally terminated november 12th uh i consider myself a casual fan of brit brit sure. and i follow her on instagram and I didn't understand the, the draconian nature of the conservatorship for a long time until it sort of came to this head in the last year or so. So I, I, we got something done this year. Well done. <laughs> well, I'm, well done, I'm chalking down the one good thing on that column right now. But she posted yeah. on Instagram shortly after her freedom was attained that, that she was thinking about telling all to Oprah. I think it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, Oprah's like, let me dial her up. Now, I did put in an official request on Instagram for Britt to do her first interview here at Getting Hammered. Oh, in our lovely studio. I don't know mm-hmm. if she'll take me up on it. She might go Oprah instead. But it, we've done due diligence here at Getting Hammered mm-hmm. to break this news. Where is Oprah? Like, when she, oh, I want to do an Oprah interview. Is she on her own her own channel? Would that be it? Oh, I think she just... Or she just she can just, go on any it's network. A, it's it used a, to be her, you know, ABC or whatever. It's it just the show. greatest broadcast jump ball of all time. She probably just... <laughs> says, I who, can do it who wants it? And you know, it's interesting, and she's been around forever. She's only, I looked this up today, she's only 67, Oprah. I thought she was much older. She's been around since the 80s. She was a big talk show. Yes. Talk show queen, the queen of all media. Um, Here's the thing about Britney Spears, and I wish people would apply this philosophy to other areas of life. Like, for instance, COVID regulations. People understand with Britney Spears that there is inherent value in 
her freedom itself, right? Even if that freedom might result in some bad decisions yes. and even harm. And I am not one of those who thinks everything might is going to be totally hunky-dory after this. No. I think I think there probably are some issues, reasons that the conservatorship was in place for so long. It seemed very rough on her to me. And it seems to me there are a lot of other people who have mil- mental illness struggles who are adults in Hollywood and seem to run their lives. So I think she can do it. But are there risks? There are going to be risks in her freedom. That's She's not that's going to be a, as but that's guarded. that's just a general sort of observation of human nature, except isn't that's, it? Except that's not how we treat the COVID conversation, no, right? Sorry. The COVID conversation is all of the risk is the same for every group. Mm-hmm. We cannot judge any, like, children can't do more no. than old people at all. Is And it's all very, very scary. And we have to do these very draconian measures to, to protect Yeah, and everyone. we rely on a higher authority to know better. Right. So And so just there. just embrace your, your Brittany philosophy for other areas of life. Because I do feel like in the COVID conversation, we forget that the the freedom itself is valuable. That's We've Ooh. lost sight of that. And Brittany's going to help us see it. <laughs> You know, our listeners can't see, but you're actually draped in the American flag right now. It's really quite something. I think if Brit did an Instagram story draped in the American mm-hmm. flag, yeah, that's... And nothing that, else. I, I mean, that's, that's where it's headed. Yeah. The, Instagram, the Instagram has gotten increasingly racy since she has gained more and more freedom. So good, you might want to follow. For, good for her. I'm not always on Instagram, but I'll have to check it out. You're going to check you know, that out? I loved her first video. That was always a yeah. That was sorry. No, was, was Brit. That was I'm great. glad. I'm glad for her. No, I I'm, really glad, am. I'm glad because there are a lot of you know, kids who attain that kind of sec, uh, success. Excuse me, success. <laughs> Wait, hmm, what Whoa. did I say? Uh, Alex, you got to edit that out, please. Uh, success <laughs> at celebrity at such an early age. You know, they're usually um, there are bad actors surrounding them, whether they be agents or whether they be parents. Yes. And uh, coming up uh, in the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we have a lovely book review by our very own uh, John Podhoritz in the Washington Free Beacon on the Ron and Clint Howard book, uh, The Boys, a Hollywood memoir about, you know, Ron and Clint Howard growing up and how they mostly, especially for Ron Howard, avoided all these terrible perils because he had good parents and self-sacrificing parents who were not in it to, for them to get all the money and then have them, when they become, a, you know, turn 18, that there's nothing left for them. They made sure that they tried their best to avoid all these various perils. But then you hear all these stories about Brittany's father and everything else. It's a mess. But the perils are not avoided. No, it's not. Um, she, has, she has also hinted that she will maybe try to help other people who are stuck in similar yes, situations. That would be good. Um, and I think a lot of us have realized that there's this sort of power imbalance in some of these cases. And we may we may find out more about that as Brittany goes on her crusade after being freed from her conservatorship. Good for her. So, I I feel like I grew up with Brittany, so I'm I applaud her. I'm excited for her, and uh, you know, I'm excited for her freedom as an, and its inherent gift to her. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna take this American flag off now <laughs> and move on. So I wanted to talk to you, Vic, about this. I found a story about shipping containers. Yes. And what goes in them Uh and how businesses are making changes to help us with the supply chain. And uh, it is going to change the face of your Christmas. Are you ready? Go for it. Okay. So this is a Washington Post reporter. Talk to an IKEA executive because who better than an IKEA executive to tell you how to fit as much into a package as possible? Parts. All sorts of parts. (laughs) Yes. And all you need is an Allen wrench. So he says that people are going to be going for, businesses are going for sort of like pillows over like hard toys because you can smush them all in. So you're looking at plush toys over play kitchens. 
uh, when it comes to electronics. Headphones over big old TVs because you can fit a lot of them on a shipping container. And like throw pillows versus furniture, Mm -hmm. right? So your your big ticket items like desks and couches that people were going for in the beginning of the pandemic. No, no, no. Especially if you want a refrigerator, good luck with that. Refrigerators are a huge deal. You're looking at late 2022. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's actually insane. But uh, yeah, the shipping container, once an ordinary cog in the global supply chain, has become a coveted and expensive lifeline for nations, retailers, and manufacturers. They are in short supply. Uh, They're in such short supply that companies are having to rethink how they stock shelves and placing a premium on smaller, more compact merchandise. Here's my favorite part, though. Some companies are going so far as to shrink their toy packaging (laughs) by large percentages, which I am very excited about because it It takes up a lot of space. It does. And the the idea in toy marketing used to be the bigger, the better, like flashy, flashy boxes, as much extra plastic and clamshell as possible that you can cut yourself on. Like the number, the number of twisty ties to hold down. There used to not One be toy. toy. By the way, what did this happened? This is like when our kids were going uh, younger. The twisty. They used to not have that when I was growing up. You can yeah. just take it right out of the no, box. No, now it's like you haven't seen that many zip ties since January sixth. <laughs> wow, wow! Threw that in there. Uh, yes, they're <laughs> all over. They're all yeah we're on a roll. You uh, got to release that Barbie from. Captivity. I mean, it is, like, yes. it is rough. Yeah. And even like to install batteries and things, you need screwdrivers and stuff like that or some sort of, you know, a Phillips or something, whatever, to oh. get it out in oh. order to do you not get me start- pop it in. Do not get me started on the, the, yeah. the tiny screwdriver you need for the battery compartment. That is ridiculous. It is what am I, a jeweler? I'm no, not a jeweler. Amazing. It's a lot of parts. <sighs> yeah, no, it's a lot of parts. You know, it's it, 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 that was an interesting story because they said it's very much like a Jenga. You know, you got to make everything fit. There's a, a book called Arriving Today by Christopher Mims, who is the, uh, the tech writer at the journal, also being reviewed uh, in the Beacon nice. by another writer, Santi nice. Ruiz, this uh, Sunday. And uh, what uh, Mims talks about is that he follows the journey from uh, the, the point of origin, uh, mostly China, Vietnam, that area, and then... You know, on a container, on a ship, across the ocean, into the port container, and then from the port container into a truck, into a warehouse. A lot of this is all about the trucks. Yeah. It comes down to the trucks and these poor, overworked uh, truck drivers. And that's that's where all this is. Uh, it hinges all right, on the, them. This, this report cites a, a statistics is about 3 million containers are stuck yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> St- stuck off the shores because they can't unload yeah. them. Particularly and that's, that's the in uh, Long Beach in California. And then also Savannah, uh, when we were in Savannah over Columbus weekend, lots of ships going in with lots of containers all the way from places like Turkey and whatever is fascinating. But I guess they're still there. Well, look for the small stuff at Christmas. That's going to be your, oh, yes. your better bet. Uh, if you if you have a child, if you have a daughter who's into something called Squishy Mallow, maybe your daughters are into that not we're, yet. We're not there yet, they're but extremely, I anticipate we will be. They're extremely pl- – sorry, this is what I'm doing. They're extremely plush stuffed animals. This is how I squeeze. Sorry. The body language. Yeah, the body language of my squeezing. Uh, we're lucky there's no zoom on yeah, this. Just a warning. If you get the squishy ballo in the, in the current situation, it will be squished. Oh, yes. That's all I'm going to say. It's going to be really – It's like a Casper Masters. you got to – Yes, yes. And it's, then it it's becomes – It's more like a smushy mallow. <laughs> Is that like the Cabbage Patch of this year? Yes. Okay. Well, by the way, I did not get a Cabbage Patch in 1984. It was not on the list for me. A boy or a girl, right? Didn't they have boy Cabbage Patch boys? Yes, they had both. I ended up getting one several years later when they weren't as cool. But that was okay. I was a tomboy. I think I got like a Thundercats little... Oh, uh, Thundercats. Thundercats, That's the uh, way to go. 
racetrack. Wow. Yeah. Really? Did you really? Yeah. Oh, it, the, and the Thundercats so cool. cars went through the castle and everything. Yes. Yeah. It was badass. Do you, do you remember the name of the little mascot creature? Oh, oh no. There was. I know Lionel was the very good. Lead. Snarf. <laughs> His name was Snarf. Snarf. Okay. Oh. So. Maybe you can get a plush Snarf. There you go. All right. So, are you in favor of the self-driving car, Vic? What are your thoughts on this? Well. After like a six-hour lunch, I, <laughs> I should have. Known. I should say thank God for the self-driving car. But no, I uh, no. In principle, I am not because it, how much more has to be done for us? Yeah, it's explain uh, what's happening. Here. So, well, Tesla has a car that has a sort of it's a beta self-driving function, extremely beta. Which anything that's self-driving but also beta, I would be a little wary about. Now that being said, human error is a huge problem for driving as well. So computer error, human error, whichever way, you're going to get dinged up out there. But a uh, writer for CNN took out a Tesla in Brooklyn. And now this this is a high high difficulty rating, right? This is very busy. There's a lot of obstacles in New York. There's there's blocked lanes. There's pedestrians. There's cyclists everywhere. But the, the results were not great for that test drive. And he said, look, maybe maybe I'm a little more nervous than because you can take over from the car. Uh, and he kept taking over and getting scared. But he said, maybe I'm more nervous because I don't do this regularly. So maybe I'm skewing the results and somebody who does this all the time would be real chill about it. But he's like, he's like you don't want to be taking a nap in this car while it's trying to get you to work. That's not what this is. To me, it looked more stressful than driving yes, myself. Absolutely. I, you know, I did a little bit of a Tesla auto drive some years ago, and I wrote about it for the Free Beacon. And it's very. Um, I of course knew that because I'm familiar with your entire oeuvre. <laughs> Thank you. And I, just about the I've I've written I think twice now on uh, auto <laughs> on automotive issues, which is not really my thing. So I learn a lot, at least as we journalists do. But it was very sort of uh, disarming in 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 a very bad way, where you know. You're seeing the merge. And this is just on 66, a highway. But this guy, I mean, that was quite an entertaining video on CNN watching him and saying, oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> bad idea. We'll, oh, no. We'll play a clip of him freaking out a little bit. Go. We're going to see if we're going to go around the big truck. Oh, I'm just going to give it a little, little gas. I hope it. Nope, nope, nope. It wanted to hit the truck. Um, so we're going to just use a human driver to go around the truck. I don't drive a Tesla every day. I am a little skittish. I'll fully admit that. So I am taking over more than someone who's used to how the system performs. And because of that, maybe I'm skewing things a little bit. But that is the observer effect. It's a little like teaching a teenager how to drive. And you're always watching. You're always waiting. You never know when it might try something new. And that's where the anxiety comes from. It's not for me yet. It's that, not for it me yet. It sums it up perfectly, yeah. though, doesn't but dr- it? But driving with a teenager does sound like what that would feel like. And what a, But what I'm most excited about is the coming Twitter feud between CNN and Elon Musk over this video. So get it's, excited look, for it's, that. It's, it's a great video. But this is actually the dream, isn't it? The dream is that it's an elect- It's it's not only a self-driving car, but it's an electric car. Right. So but it's, I, it's a win-win I, for, I, for I'm one of those. I'm one of those icky, ugly Americans who just loves to drive my gas guzzler around. <laughs> Over the place. I like to drive. I like to drive by myself. I like to drive with my children when they're perfectly silent and or asleep behind me in the car. It's good times. So I, I have a uh, I, I have a Subaru uh, Legacy. Uh, you high roller, I, you? I, yeah, yes, me. I love I love Subarus. Me and Martina Navratilova 
We love Subarus. You do. Yes. Uh, uh, but this one that I got, I lease it, and this is a new one. This one has all sorts of the bells and whistles, and not necessarily all, always in a good way. Anytime you veer out of your lane, it beeps at you, like yes. lane departure, or car in front of you moves. The car in front of you has moved ahead. Or slow down. You know, there's a car in front of you. So little things like that, and it drives me crazy. So then every now and then... You know, I have to drive Kate's car, which is a very old, beat-up Toyota Highlander. Right. And she's like, ah, none of that. No video cameras. There's a tape deck. you got to do everything you gotta yourself. you got to do everything yourself. She goes, isn't it, isn't it nice that, you know, you don't have anything telling you what to do? Oh, by the way, hurry up now. Okay, slow down. You're going too fast. Oh, okay, no, turn here. <laughs> well, so, yeah, you have you have she's married like, that feature. I married the feature. <laughs> My husband's car has a has a like an emergency brake that goes on if you're backing up and it deems that you're too close to something. Wow. And the thing is that it feels like you hit something when the car does the emergency brake. I want to kill the car every yeah. time it does this because no. I'm like, look, I know how to back up mm-hmm. most of the time. I know how to the I know how to back the car up. I'm fine. Yeah. And then it's like, Aah! and it scares me. Yeah. So stop driving me, car. My uh, the, my if I come to a, a, a traffic light and I put the brakes on for a few seconds, the car like many cars now they just shut off. The engine is just shut yeah. off, and then when you turn on, it turns back on. Uh, the problem is if you are like mid-turn and the car shuts off, the steering wheel immediately jolts back to the set position Ooh, to straighten new. the tire. And so it's forced, it's fighting you. My, I hate it. I didn't mean to do a whole car segment. We're going to do it. We're, we're just, going head first yeah, into this. I, I, my my Hyundai, I'm also a, a mm. high roller. My Hyundai, uh, I tested the feature. Of, uh, some people wonder with the automatic trunk. Is it like an elevator where it opens back up if it if it meets any resistance? No, I'm here to tell you it's not. Uh, now, it just <laughs> came right down on my head wow. while I was unloading something the other day um, because I'm not, you know, I didn't have my wits about me. So there's no sensor like, oh, we're about to hurt somebody. You know what? Somebody. I think there's supposed to be. I think this is a defect in my particular car that I should probably get worked out because I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't think you would do that, car. Lesson is you got to be careful with these no. these newfangled gadgets. That, that's that that's right, and 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 it, it's doing it's doing too much for us is what I want to say. It just I want to roll my own windows. When my first well, car ever was a '68 Volkswagen Bug, and uh, it didn't even have power steering, so that's you. actually where I first got my delts. Yes, <laughs> from driving that car around. You. And now nobody's going to know how to parallel park anymore. I know that is a skill that is atrophying here for me as mm-hmm. well. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> Alex, I used to be I'm a great parallel parker. Oh, that's all I want. Very to say. cool. Yeah, there's 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 no greater feeling than being in the middle of DC with a bunch of people out and about, and you can parallel park into a very small spot. And you, I've I, I once when I was very pregnant, uh, jumped out of the car and I got a nice round of applause. Oh, yeah. Did you really? I, <laughs> that's great. Was, and that was a, that was not a newfangled car telling me what to do. I handled that by myself. Thank you very much because I'm an independent lady. All right. <laughs> Last but not least, we have You Love to See It, which is a feature we do about somebody saying something in the news that we do not usually hear. This is from a former Obama economic advisor, Stephen Ratner, who wrote in the New York Times of all places, an op-ed saying, enough already about transitory inflation. Last Wednesday's terrible consumer price index news shifts our inflation prospects strongly into the embedded category. Prices are up 6.2% from a year ago, the largest increase in 30 years. He goes on to say that he had warned the Biden administration that the original rescue plan for COVID when he came into office was going to be bad news on this front. 
And now we are seeing the fruits of that. The icky, icky fruits of that. They are loving it. Those of the Obama administration who were not invited to join the Biden administration, or who perhaps wisely... Are you you telling me that this is not a completely (laughs) selfless selfless. and detached... It was a selfless (laughs) column, like most columns. Uh, Or those who probably wisely knew that I don't want to be a part of this. They're now coming out and becoming more and more comfortable about saying... Uh, critical things about the current administration. This is what I'm noticing, particularly the, the Obama people. You're seeing more and more of them. Uh, and every now and then, a couple of their uh, quotes will pop up even in the Free Beacon. They're talking to the Free Beacon about it and other places, and that's not a good sign. Yeah, he notes even the, I, lo- I love the the terminology here. The original sin was the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan passed in March. The bill, almost completely unfunded, sought to counter the effects of the COVID pandemic by focusing on demand side stimulus rather than on investment that has contributed materially to today's inflation levels. Mm-hmm. And him, Larry Summers, or Clinton's, you know, tre- uh, right. Secretary of Treasury uh, as well, being very vocal about the uh, terrible state of things. Nonetheless, the uh, Biden administration continues to push for the Build Back Better bill, which is a several trillion. It's it's up in the air how many trillion we're dealing with, but it's several trillion dollars in spending and sort of uh, social spending in particular. They are bracing for a congressional budget office score, which would tell you officially how much this will cost, how much it will add to the deficit. And the the powers that be don't seem excited about that score because I don't think it's going to turn out great. That's right. Uh, there was a story in the news about the internal revenues contradicting the claim that they would be able to make up for the uh, the loss of revenue by being able to go after tax evaders in order to raise that sort of money to pay for this bill. And they're saying that they can't do it because they're not as effective, which uh, I have mixed feelings. On the one hand, I think it's a big problem that the IRS cannot go after tax evaders. On the other hand, phew, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Yeah, they just, you know what? Let's hire more of them. We just need more of them. We need to pay them more money. That's right. That's right. Get them out and just get them out on the streets. But it is a problem because they're trying to convince people like Joe Manchin, uh, West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema, Arizona, uh, that this thing can be paid for without any sort of indirect taxes that will be inflicted upon the middle class from businesses well, and, and whatnot. And that's, that's just not happening. Right yeah, now. and I think no matter how many times you tell people that this will be paid for, they're suspicious. <laughs> no matter how many no. times you tell them that inflation is transitory, mm-hmm. they're feeling it in their right. real lives mm-hmm. every day. And they're very understandably skeptical that another couple trillion is the answer to this problem. Right. Uh, the, and the way to, also the way to fix inflation is by pumping more money into the no, that, yeah, It's so. counterintuitive, but that's the argument that they're making. They're further making an argument uh, that, that, that there was an odd argument from a New York Times writer this this week that inflation was a problem of the, of the rich. Yes. Which is the op- opposite of what's happening, correct? Yes. Um, it, it is a problem for middle and lower class folks who are pinched. Uh, not for those who have assets that are actually doing okay. Again, $15 for two McDonald's sandwiches. I just want to bring that up again. I'm going to bring it up in every episode. You know what? We can talk about it on every episode because McDonald's inflation is important to me as well. And by the way, I am still a go on this road trip uh, to Georgia, but I figured out the other day when I filled up the car how much that's going to cost me. Um, So I'll keep you guys posted. Uh We'll make it. We'll make it. We'll be fine. I'm just going to keep filling her up. All right. That wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm Mary Catherine Ham. You can follow me at MK Hammer on Twitter, at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. Brittany is free, and we are done. This is a Nebulous Media Podcast. <laughs>